All right, I'm now opening the email from Jason to find out what album I've got. All right, let's see what Mr. Charchin has in store for me. It is Yola Other Tango. Lives. I'm assuming that's a band for their I can love, hear the, the heart album. beating as one. I've heard some Yola Tango, but I don't know that much about it. And so this is going to be a lot of learning. I have genuinely never heard of this at all. So that's a, that's a new one on me. And I have no idea what it's going to sound like. And I have vowed I'm going to give the whole thing at least one headphone listen through. Because I think with the headphones, you get some nuances you don't otherwise get. And it really will force sort of a level of concentration on the music that maybe you would not normally get. Uh, I'm excited for Yola Tango because the handful of songs I've heard I like, but it's not a band I've ever dove into. All right, Matt, I'm up for the challenge. Talk to you soon. Welcome to Tracks, the dueling album review show about expanding your musical horizons. I'm your host, Matt Helgeson, joined as always by super producer Jason Daphnis. Hey, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Jason. Always good to hear your voice. Yours, too. And uh, today we're very excited to be joined by a good friend, Mr. Paul Charchian. Hey, Charch. Hello, guys. I am so excited to be here. Uh, ever since I heard about the even core premise of this show, I wanted to be on it, and now... Finally, my turn in the rotation is up, and I have spent one week excited to record with you guys. That's awesome. We're excited to have you. And um, for those of you that aren't familiar with Paul, he um, you might know him from Fanball.com. If you play fantasy football, you might know of Paul. Uh, he, he was behind Fanball.com. Recently, he's in the Fantasy Football Hall of Fame, which I have to bring up. I think that's only fair. Um, and he does radio all across the country. He does a lot of radio here in Minneapolis on KFAN FM 100.3. And Paul also is, um, I don't know, you're kind of bringing a new type of fantasy football out um, for the people this fall. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about what your, your project is right now? Well, it's called Guillotine Leagues. It's a, it's a unique, fresh spin on fantasy football in which um, you start the season with 17 teams and then a different team gets eliminated. The low-scoring team gets eliminated every week and all their players go to the waiver wire where everybody else can feast on those guys. So, yeah, it's a fun new project I'm working on, guillotineleagues.com. But we're not here to shill. We're here to talk music. So I know, a yeah. little plug, though. I want to give a little plug. Oh, but more nice. importantly, Paul is a huge music fan. Yes. Um, we're friends in real life, and we've definitely probably talked music more than we've <laughs> talked video games or or sports, really, um, yeah, or anything so, else, probably, or anything else. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's I, I've, it's been great. Uh, glad we could finally get you on, and um, yeah, we're excited to have you. So as usual, we're going to start out with um, Paul's pick, uh, which is actually a band that I, I'd never heard of, and it's I feel like I've heard of a lot of bands, and I hadn't heard of this one. And they're but they seem like they've been around for a while and are pretty popular. The band is called Other Lives. Their latest album, their 2020 album, is called For Your Love. Um, but I looked them up afterwards. They've been around for like 12 years. They've had things on the Grey's Anatomy soundtrack. So mm -hmm. how long have you been a fan and how did you kind of discover this band? I've only been a fan for probably six months. I had missed their, pri their prior albums entirely. And uh, about six months ago, they put out in um, their what would ultimately be their first hit on um, uh, their first single on their album that would end up coming out in, I think, March or April, uh, the current one we're going to hear tonight. And when I heard this song, Man, it just clicked. I mean, have you ever had that happen, Matt or Jason, where you just hear a song and 
you know, you're not even a whole way through the song. You're like, oh my God, this speaks to my soul. That's what I got off of the first single of Other Lives. And that started a, a journey into their back catalog. And then this album, which is has gone on to become my most listened to album of 2020. That's great. Yeah. I mean, that's that's always an awesome experience when you kind of just hear and I'm I'm terrible at thinking of examples, but I totally know what you're talking about. Like when the, you just yeah. hear something, it just absolutely like you're like, what is this? Yeah. The last time it happened to me actually was on an episode of Mintracks where Matt, you brought um Future of the Left Travels with Myself and Another. <laughs> and I can't remember the song title, but one of those songs, yeah, I guess that's how much of an impression it left on me. One of those songs I still like still just plays in my head when there's nothing else going on in my ears. <laughs> it's, it's a good to hear. Feeling. Yeah. They they have weird song titles, so they're not really like, you know, they don't correspond to the lyrics very much. So it's it's hard to mm-hmm. I don't even remember their song titles that well. Um so yeah, other lives is I mean, I my first impression was and I think, you know, we could after this get into the first song, um, which I think sets the table for the album pretty well. Um I mean my first impression really was just really positive in terms of I think how well produced this album is. Um and specifically, I think this band, and to me, like the kind of core, at least what I took away from this band is like, they're really, really good with arrangement mm-hmm. and instrumentation yeah. and kind of how they layer tracks together. And, uh, you know, there seems like there's a lot of different instruments going on from like sort of orchestral, um, you know, movie soundtrack or film score kind of uh, strings to like different percussion Um yeah, so it just kind of brings yeah. you into a very, like, kind of um, cinematic is maybe kind of a corny word to use to describe music. But I mean, I think in this case, it, it has that kind of vibe to me. I think so, too. And I think they were going for cinematic feels in this. And, and you know, later on, um, I hope we get to hear a little bit of a song called uh, uh, We Wait, which has got uh, some spaghetti Western running right through the heart of it. Yes. And so I, I really do think they were going for something of a cinematic feel. And it, it's a short album. I think it only the clock time was only like 37 minutes or something like that. But the um, I, I don't, you know, I don't think you necessarily have to be like epic, long, you know, drawn out songs to have sort of a cinematic feel. Um, but yeah, that's I, I think that was part of the part of the goal for this, Matt, for them. And if you know, even if it wasn't, it, it came across that way to me. Yeah. And actually, I'm just going to skip ahead because I, I literally have that timestamp of what you're talking about. And I think it's kind of timely because um, he actually passed away this year uh, a few months ago, the legendary Italian composer Ennio Morricone. Yeah. Uh, and he's kind of known for all those spaghetti westerns, like, you know, Fistful of Dollars and Good, Bad, and the Ugly, the classic kind of Clint Eastwood stuff. And yeah. Um, he just had a very distinctive sound where he used kind of orchestral stuff, but he used kind of more pop music, like uh, percussion and drums sometimes. Uh, and if it's almost one of those guys, like, you know, his stuff, whether you even know he exists, like, it's just a very distinctive sound. And the song, uh, We Wait, um, there's one part in particular in the middle that's like a super like Morricone kind of almost tribute in a way. And I oh, think for sure. I was going to start at like one sixteen and then play maybe through, you know, two, two minutes. And we wait, we wait, oh, we wait for you to rest. Right there is just mm-hmm. like Clint Eastwood, just you know, 
walking down an abandoned street. Yeah, that's no accident. And that's, uh, I, and you know, I, it, it really is, I think, a tribute at that point. Um, interesting song, and there's a little backstory behind the song if you want to hear it, Matt. Yeah, I would love to. So um, the backstory is the the lead singer, um, who, by the way, we should, I, I'll, I'll mention his name. It's Jesse Tabish. And uh, and by the way, that's your first chance to hear Jesse's voice, right? So, you know, any in, in instrumentation, as you mentioned, right on the outset, and you're 100% right, instrumentation in other lives is really, really important in arrangement. Um, but so many times you've got to have the right voice to pull this whole thing together. And I think Jesse really does. I love his voice. And I think it's very additive to the rest of the, the sound of this album. Um, and you got a chance to hear that. So here's the backstory with Jesse is when he was 15, one of his best friends got murdered. And wow. here he is now 20 some odd years later, and he's still trying to cope with the unexpected death of his friend when he was a teenager. And the song is, is uh, ultimately about how, uh, and the lyrics are about how he's, he's still trying to come to grip with it and still waiting for uh, resolution to the whole, uh, to the whole murder. So yeah, wow, interesting, no interesting song with some deep uh, lyrics that you don't necessarily, you wouldn't know by listening to it, but yeah, there's some backstory to the song we wait. Yeah. I, I would, I had no idea. I mean, that was, Definitely one of my favorites off the album initially, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, I, but you know, it's good that it, you know sometimes it, it's more symbolic than explicitly, um, you know, expressed in the lyrics. I guess. Yeah, because honestly, that'd be kind of a downer, and who wants to hear that, right? And I didn't know <laughs> until I didn't know until until uh, I until uh, I dug in a little bit deeper on the album to find out the backstory. Yeah, another song I think, and well, partially because it's the first song, but I do think it sets the table really well for this album and. Um, I think it, you know, incorporates a lot of the things I think they're really good at. Um, the sound of violence is the first track. And I really, a lot of things I like about this. I like, I like the sound of space in it. I think that they, you know, don't, sometimes they have a lot going on, but then they kind of strip it back to be more kind of minimal. So there's a good contrast between when there's a lot going on in the song and when there's not as much going on in the song, which I think helps because sometimes I think certain bands, they're always so thickly laid on that it kind of almost becomes oppressive at a, at a certain point. And I think they sure. avoid that in a, in a good way. Yeah. The opening song sound of violence is, uh, I think you're right that it's, it does set the table and it says a lot about what's to come on the rest of the, of the album. It's fairly emblematic of the rest of the album. And I'll, I'll mention this as you're listening to these songs. Imagine if you can, the whole album is recorded in Jesse's a frame wooden house in the middle of nowhere, Oregon mountains and forests. And, um, and if you just, if you can, if you can put your mind into that, and by the way, if you see any of their videos, you'll see them record, you know, all the videos were shot right in the, right in this A-frame. And, um, and if you, uh, as you listen to this and you can put yourself into the Oregon mountains, into this, um, into this, uh, you know, just kind of fitting A-frame, all wooden house, you, you got sort of the right, you got the right vibe compositionally for where they were when they, when they put this album together. Make some room for the afterlife Golden gates, a happy wife Nothing compares to the sound of the violence Great destroyer, you plant the seed 
Living guilt and the loser's greed But nothing compares to the sound of that What do you think it is about his voice that makes it so well suited to this this tone? Great question, uh, Jason. Um, a, I just I think he's got a he does have a very strong voice, and he doesn't have that doesn't mean like deep and booming, um, but it's a very rich sound that feels almost like it's been measured equally with a string section that you'll hear come through this. I love this part. This is very like John Lennon. That, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. The, it's funny you mentioned Lennon, Matt, because these guys are grade A hippies, right? I mentioned they're out in the middle of you know the Oregon forest, you know, recording, and um, if you look at them, there's there's no doubt there's some of that, and I wouldn't be surprised if there is there's some Lennon influence in in what they what they like to do anyway. Yeah, I mean the Beatles kind of. If you oh, sort sure. of grew up, grew up on planet Earth at a certain point, mm-hmm. you it kind of absorbed that, I think. But yeah, they, like I said, they, I really like their kind of, um, I don't want, it's almost like goth kind of Western or something like that. Uh, it feels very, sometimes it feels very Southwest to me, actually, even though it's kind of interesting. I, I tried to like not learn too much about them because I didn't really want to. Sometimes I like to just listen to the music and try to just get my sure. own impressions of it. But I actually yeah. kind of sometimes they have a very almost kind of desert kind of uh, like southwestern U.S. kind of vibe to me, which is sort well, of interesting that they're in the uh, almost opposite of of that you know environment, which would be the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, although they were originally from Oklahoma, as you may have mentioned at the outset, and so oh. um, you know originally from Oklahoma, so maybe art. You know, you could be getting a little of that as well. And yeah. um, you know, one last thing about, that I'll mention about this song is. You know, th- this this particular song is about as languid as the whole album gets. And most of the rest of it, I think, is is much more upbeat and faster paced than than the song that we just heard, Sound of Violence. And mm-hmm. um, and some of it is, in my mind, it's kind of radio ready, almost pop hits in, in some ways. So um, I'd be interested to see as we as we uh, try, I assume we'll, we'll hit some other tracks and uh, see if you if you see it that way, Matt. Um, so, you know, Sound of Violence, I think is great. I think the second track, you know, even kind of increases the, uh, sort of the momentum and intensity. I think this is yeah. a really great song called Last Day. It is. Um, and, uh, as Charge, you said this was the single. This is the single, um, that they released in advance of the album and, uh, it's got a great video, which I recommend. And, um, and I, I know I said track one is emblematic of the sound, but this is track one is pretty slow paced. Now we're going to crank it up, and I really think this is a, to me, this is a radio-ready hit. And, you know, if I were programming some reasonably cool station, I would be putting this into heavy rotation, especially since it comes in at a snappy, like, two minutes, 55 seconds. It's, uh, it's, it's got, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a toe-tapper, if you will. Yeah, and so this is a song that kind of hooked you. This is the first song you heard. It is. Okay. Yeah. You know, it'll be interesting to see if, if anybody else listening has the same immediate visceral response that I had to other lives and, and this song that immediately just caught, you know, the hook was set within, you know, 60 seconds of the song. I'm like, wow, this is really great. Yeah. Another thing too, that I wanted to quick call out because um, this is like you said, it's kind of more of a rocker. I don't know if it's like a super rocker, but it's definitely more up tempo. And one yeah. thing that I like about this band in general is they, they use a lot of the way they approach percussion is they don't 
sometimes they have a more traditional kind of drummer, like trap kit drumming, but they do a lot of stuff with like percussion and yeah, kettle drum, non-traditional and like timpanis mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yep. Um, and this this song is kind of cool. It reminds me like actually kind of reminds me of the Beach Boys. They used to do a lot of that kind of stuff without like a regular type drummer, and um, mm-hmm. I think it re- it works well, and I think it makes it it's very like propulsive and energetic, but it it doesn't have the standard kind of like you know four four like rock feel. Yeah. I'm on exit aisle, no you won't see me this time I'm in an outflow, but you know I can't find it I'm gonna let you go, now you won't see me Even just that opening, like, guitar reverb cowboy twang is just... I think I think I know what you're talking about, Paul, when you say that immediate reaction to the tone of the song. Yeah. It hits. I like that voice. I do too. Kind of I like thing. I like the the woman who sings with this too. How many people are in this band? I believe you've got four primaries in it, um, and then a few other contributors uh, that that work their way in as well. So. Yeah, the strings on this album I think are just yeah. the MVP for me. Like, like that right there, that kind of swooping line. I love the strings. That's a nice build to that point right there mm-hmm. that just happened. There's just some real joy that hits at that moment of the song when everything comes together. Yeah, I can definitely see why this would be like kind of a natural single for them. Yeah. I'm also not surprised that they like I did read that they've been placed on Grey's Anatomy and it like they definitely strike me as a band that would do really well and get like songs placed on like you know, kind of dramatic HBO shows and that kind of thing. Yeah. Like it just has that vibe. There you That's go. 255 or so and you've got uh you've got a snappy, well-written, upbeat, happy, almost danceable uh track. And I um yeah, this was uh this was the song that reeled me in and I I just I the whole rest of the album then was was easy. I was I was ready to accept other lives into my heart at that point. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> one thing that I just <laughs> I thought about is and he's certainly not the only one, but I, I do like his vocals a lot. He's a very good singer. But I feel like maybe, I don't know, 15 years ago, indie rock singers kind of decided, like, we're just going to make a new accent 
<laughs> it's, it's like you know what i mean is that really like an american accent is that really a british accent but you know and he's certainly not the only one like tons of people like i'm trying to think like the guy from interpol or like angel olsen or like a, t- a bunch of people but you know what i'm saying they, they kind of like do something weird with the vowel sounds or something and i don't really i can't really put my finger on it i hadn't noticed that i don't know but maybe maybe there's something to it i i, uh, I hope that i hope that he did not decide to purposely uh give himself an affectation no, um, I mean, I'm not for saying coolness that. Just, purposes. Uh, you know, why not? All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's, uh, the next song that I, I thought was cool, and, and this this one I think is really an amazing song, uh, is probably my favorite just because it kind of came out with something that I, I wasn't really expecting. And you know, we touched on the fact that they seem somewhat influenced, you know, by film scores and Morricone and people like that. Um, yeah. There's a jazz guy named david axelrod who was kind of this orchestral jazz guy that is kind of popular among like for being sampled and stuff and they remind me of him a bit but the song mm-hmm. um uh all eyes for their love yeah and i'd like to play this whole thing because like the beginning couple minutes of this are it, it really just sounds like a like a late 60s early 70s film score and then it kind of kicks into like more of a proper pop song format but i i thought this one was just a really it's one it's probably the longest song on the album and it, it, this one was really striking because i just this kind of comes out of nowhere and then you sort of accept it. Oh, they're just doing like kind of a cool, you know, movie instrumental kind of soundtrack. Yeah. Thing. And then all of a sudden halfway through, oh, it's like actually a song. And that was just this like super like two, three minute preamble. My assumption is in the gun, the name of the song is all eyes and then a hyphen for their love. And I really think it is. I think it was really two songs that they decided to blend into one is my is how it feels to me. And um, I think people are able to hear what you're talking about as a song in, in two parts. Um, and y- one of the things that you, you touched on that makes me really like like this band and almost all bands for me fall into this category. I like bands that let their instruments give their instruments space and don't feel this necessity to cover every moment in vocals. And you should have enough confidence in, in your um, instrument to be able to you know, run, you know, minutes at a time if you need to without vocals and still keep it interesting. And if you can't compose interesting music without music, I would question your whole abilities as a composer. And that is not a problem for other lives. They, you know, as as you'll see as a, as a great example in this song. There's the timpani. It literally does sound like like overture music, you know, it does. when movies used to let you out halfway through to pee. <laughs> music to urinate by. <laughs> Otherwise. I really don't want to cover this up too much, but uh, Paul, I was listening to, in prep for this episode, I listened to your episode most recently of The Brian Oak Show. Oh, um, yeah on which you spoke a lot about instrumental music and how, again, like it often feels like, like vocals take up space, like real estate in a song that they probably shouldn't. Yeah. Does that sensibility carry through to your enjoyment of, of other lives? Do you feel like it, it always fits just right? It does. You know, I'm just, I can't tell you, Jason, how many songs I'll hear the opening, you know, the opening handful of bars for and, and with no, no vocals. And then the vocals come in and go, oh, they wrecked it. And to me, just, being able to blend in the vocals, and I like how our, I like how this song's grown building, by the way, um, and the use of the strings, the violins. Mm. 
Um, but yeah, getting the vocals to either match or just not not reliant on the vocals at all, or the lyrics for that matter, to me, really important. comes the shift. This part is very much like that David Axelrod guy that I was talking about. Yeah. He does a lot of choral kind of stuff with a sort of a weird jazz orchestra kind of thing. I think the thing that I learned about this guy's voice, or at least the thing that I came to appreciate, is that he sounds like like somebody who's drunk, but really but like they don't show it like you know internally their mind their mind is completely slurred but their but their their vocals their their speech is uninhibited it's just a really interesting like gruff but really smooth at the same time delivery mm. it's so rich it is it is yeah i mean you know, I know enough about making records to be dangerous, I'd say, but like, especially the front half of this, I mean, that's pretty, it almost feels like it has to be written score kind of stuff. For sure. You know, like, you'd almost have to notate that out because there's quite a few, you know, strings and the other mm-hmm. instruments and then the, the choral arrangements. I just feel like, I mean, maybe you could do it by just layering it on and like, you know, overdubbing, but boy, it seems, it's pretty complicated charts. Yeah. I swear there's some bassoon going on in the background. Damn, bassoon. Not enough bassoon. Not enough bassoon where? Just in pop music in general? Yeah, I'd say. Yeah, everywhere. I'm trying to think. There's like Jethro Tull has the flute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What band, what band pulls out their double reeded bassoon? <laughs> bassoon solo. <laughs> Well, I just Googled Rock Bassoon, and there looks like there's some kind of outfit called Rock E Bassoon that does, like, <laughs> classical or classic rock songs, like, you know, Led Zeppelin and stuff. Of course. Of course in a bassoon uh, <laughs> combo. You, wanna, you want me to pull up some Rock E Bassoon? No, nah, we're good. Hear it? Oh, yeah. Way down there. Way down there. I wonder if that could be that. What's the what's the big sax? The baritone, baritone sax. Baritone sax could be. We're going deep on woodwinds. I like it. 
Well, you may not know this, but you are talking to the Eden Prairie Central Middle School's worst oboe player. Really? Yeah. I didn't know we were in the in the presence of greatness. Uh, I didn't know that you peaked in elementary school. In many ways. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I, to me, this is a real highlight of the record. I think it's a really great song. And like I said, I, it's is impressive because writing that kind of complex arrangements and, and harmonies and everything is, is, you know, well, Jason, you, you know more about that kind of stuff than I do. I mean, that's, that's not an well, easy thing to do. Yeah. Well, just the fact that they can like keep it a continuous song after it changes keys and signature and time signatures and instrumentation all in one. I mean, I'm sure that they were recorded separately, but like the fact that it all feels like one contiguous piece and that it's the centerpiece of this album, I would say, you know, that just mm-hmm. like a six minute jammer is yeah. really strange for an indie record. Like I hadn't heard of this artist before listening to them uh, for this record. And I sort of got at first like a, like a Gautier hoser, hosier vibe of like, okay, so I, I imagine like plaid neckerchiefs blowing in the wind and fedoras <laughs> and hair nice. that's too long wow. for your age kind of thing. And I won't, I won't deny that like their, their outward appearance is a little bit like that. All of them were in cowboy boots and all of them were, are, you know, th- their visual style is another thing though, versus their, uh, like, their actual prowess with composing and arranging music. I didn't really think about the arrangement of this music until you guys brought it up just now, but the, uh, just the, just the way that they've, that they're able to put all these ideas together and not have it all feel crowded and weird and out of place. Like the fact that the album starts by sounding like a James Bond theme just really throws all your expectations of the rest of the record kind of out the window in a really fun way. Boy, did I, boy, did I, I, I can't tell you how much consternation I had about whether or not to give you this album, um, because it's an album none of our listeners are going to know, you aren't going to know. And I think they're, you know, for the format of the show, which is brilliant, I think the natural tendency is to want to discuss an album we've all heard and bands we all know. And, um, but there was this other part of me that's like, oh, you know, this is the album that is just speaks to me right now. As I mentioned earlier, the, my most listened to album of 2020. And it's the one I wanted to share and so much and that I ultimately decided decided to go this way. And um, I hope listeners uh, were are, are, are I'm impressed any listener that's made it this far through an album that they don't know. And hopefully some part of it has spoken to them, too. But Boy, did I struggle with that. And if you're, you're ever kind enough to have me on again, I'm going the other way with it. I'm taking, I'm going to take something <laughs> else. Uh, at least an artist. <laughs> Just gonna be like at least Saturday. an artist everybody knows, if not, you know, an album everybody, you know, not the most popular album for that artist. But I've <laughs> already got, I've already got it all lined up. I've got like the next three or four of these that I want to do with you. Well, we'd love to have you back. And, you know, next time you're going to bring a, a huge hit and we're yep. just going to put, we're going to put numbers on the board next time. But this time is, this is like our sleeper hit, you know. I hope Years so. to come, it'll be uh, it'll be appreciated. Um, let's go in. The next one is Dead Language, um, and I like this. I I'll, this also I wanted to call out um, that I like. I think they sequence this album very well, which I think a lot of bands don't. Hmm. And um, I think it's cool that this sort of more stripped down song follows um, what we you know what we just heard, which is kind of maybe the most ambitious and sort of grandiose kind of production on the record and i think i think it's cool that they sort of kind of bring it down to a a, a almost more folky vibe with this song it's super folky and to me this is the clunker on the album really i was wondering how it would affect you because other people that have reviewed 
this album, Other Lives, um, album for their love, uh, have have focused on the song and they've mostly liked it. Uh, but this is the one for me that I'm just waiting to get to the next song. And um, so I, I'm fascinated that you ended up stopping on this one and that this one this one caught your eye. And interesting. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if listeners have the same have the same are, are more on your side of the fence than mine. To me, it's too stripped down. It's too slow. Um, and while I think it it provides a a, a sonic break from everything else that comes before and after it. And, and because it is, and it's dead in the middle of this album with four songs on either side of it. And I don't think that's, you, you talked about the sequencing. I don't think it's an accident that it falls right into the dead center of the album. Um, but for me, just as a standalone track, dead language is, is my least favorite here. Interesting. Well, yeah. let's listen to it. See what you think. All right. Dead language, dead language Tied up in strings A world of figures Are strangers to me It talks how it feels But it's not what it seems Dead language Dead language. You notice there's some of that twangy guitar is back. Just a little, just sprinkling in the back there. Yep. It's a little too Spartan for me. I, what okay. I love about this band are the layers of sound that I can listen to and go, oh, that might be a bassoon that I hear in the background. And the layered strings, and it's just so dense and rich and ornate and luscious. And this is all, almost entirely, the song is stripped down to just Jesse and a guitar. And his yeah, voice I mean, can... Yeah, go ahead. I mean, I can't dispute. I mean, it's, it's certainly stripped down. I guess for me, I like the, I like the melody of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Again, I sort of I think that the contrast is good because sometimes I think if you go full out super orchestration at all moments, it, it sort of loses its impact. So sure. I don't know, but maybe it's you know if it doesn't speak to you, it doesn't speak to you. Because I, I actually mine were more like the last two songs. I I, t- I t- tended to find my um, attention wavering a little bit. Really? Yeah, and I think it's partially because of the sequencing. His voice has got to carry the song, and fortunately, I think Jesse's voice can. Um, you know, otherwise, the whole song's doomed from the beginning, and I guess the whole record would be doomed. But um, it's asking a lot for him to carry the song. I, I'll give him credit for that. I think he can. It's kind of fun how it can use his uh, voice as like the anchor, like like we said, the gruff, smoothish anchor, and then the female vocalist who's part of the group can sort of flit around in the in the stratosphere, just like yeah. lending little little tinkly uh, like bits and and I guess relief in some ways. Great, here and there. that's a great way to put it. I 
I'm suspecting, Church, you like the, the next song, which is definitely I do. kind of brings it back to the more aggressive. And I, sometimes when they get aggressive, I do start to hear a little bit more. Like, I wonder if they were younger. They were into some of those bands, kind of like Interpol and some of those bands from like the early 2000s that were kind of doing the more like Joy Division kind of thing and got kind of more folky. Because I hear sort of elements like of that in this song. And, and I, I mean, I like that kind of stuff, but yeah. in a more kind of folky and orchestral way. vampire rock hours in here. <laughs> Sit around till the morning rain It's a fate of the hour It's a trap I hear now you're talking And here's probably the most sort of like almost conventional rock drumming they have on this record. Yeah, great point. Like this is this is you know it's good. I mean it's great drumming, but it's you know it's it's definitely a more like kind of traditional driving. Yeah, this gets a little goth, Jason. You're right. It does. Yeah, those those uh, the violins carrying like the major seventh in the background, just that tension and the octave piano. Like I nerd out over this song because it does. It uses those fun cues in a way that it doesn't use in the other tracks to make again. Like I feel I feel like I'm stalking the night watching or listening yeah. to this song. <laughs> like I don't know if this... no one's gonna get this reference, but it reminds me of solo Peter Murphy from Bauhaus. I don't know if anyone remembers that, but me. I don't remember a lot of the solo stuff, but some of it, for sure. I think his health is waning, by the way. Is it just a random side note? Oh, no. I yeah. didn't know that. I saw them live. I saw them about 10 years ago, and they were great. Right. Yeah, they played was the it, State Theater. Was it a Bauhaus reunion? Mm-hmm. Yeah, three, huh. three original. They were excellent. Super Peter Murphy's voice is yeah. fantastic, obviously. called it vampire song it's called nights out so yeah yeah, right? yeah maybe you know you know maybe that maybe that's what they were going for this is you know guys just to plant the seed i hear that the lead singer is a vampire that he hasn't aged in the last 25 years <laughs> just see if you can't spread that around you're both intellectual personalities in the area yeah. there you go i love it he's a cast member of what we do in the shadows <laughs> <laughs> hey what a good show god, oh, what, a good god show. what a good show have you watched yeah. that church i do yeah it's it's excellent Guillermo is one of the one of the great it's one of the great sort of sidekick characters in TV. Easily best written character of like the last two or three years at least. Yeah. I'm a big Jackie Daytona fan. <laughs> if you remember that episode. I do remember that episode. That's great. <laughs> All right. We're getting off we're getting, we're gonna go on a yep. tangent here about, you know, <laughs> that show, which is great. Um 
Okay, we did we wait. Um another one that has is definitely more of a rocking vibe. I really liked his Hey Hey I. Uh, yeah. Or hey Hey One, Roman numeral, I'm not sure which. But um I like this one too. And I want to call out before this, it's got one of the all time great like drum beats that you really can't go wrong with, which mm. is kind of like quarter notes on the snare. So like ra cha 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 tu cha tu cha. And like a ton of songs use it. Like you can you can sing Saturday Night by the Bay City Rollers over this song, like no problem. <laughs> I want to hear you do it. Yeah, S A T U R D A Y. It's like the same beat. It's a classic beat. I like these little weird off chords here. Yeah, kind of off time. But this song's so catchy. S A T U R D A Y nine. <laughs> <laughs> but this is like a classic Motown songs use this beat, you know. This is a great song, I think. It is. This is one of my three favorites on the album. Are we agreed on if it's Hey Hey I or Hey nope. Hey Hey One? Don't know. They only like come out a, at night. It's another uh, vampire yeah, I, reference. I, I think I cracked the code on yeah, their lives. lives because you already lived your first one. <laughs> Whoa. There you go. Now it's oh. yes. Mm-hmm. This is all making sense now. They're they're like lumberjack vampires <laughs> from the Pacific Northwest. They live in an A-frame together. <laughs> hey, don't give indie game developers any cute ideas, Matt. <laughs> You, you you just find their story through like bits of note note paper that are left around this deserted A frame, <laughs> blood stained. Yeah. I feel like this is either the first or last song at their shows. Oh, that's a good point. That's, that's a whole other sequencing conversation that could be a podcast in and of itself, right? But doesn't it feel like that, you know? You mm-hmm. could either close out strong or you could, like, you know, hit them at the beginning. This also lends itself well, Matt, to your... Uh, you called this, like, super retro at times feeling, mm-hmm. this album. And this is, like, probably the most that, right? You already mentioned, like, that you can use that drum beat. But even the vocal lines, the female vocal lines in the back are super like 60s pop and folk yeah this one's lean. probably the most like kind of soul and r&b influence song yeah, on the record yeah, which they don't yeah. have a lot of those influences on the record but it takes me definitely kind of a 60s soul kind of feel which is cool and i mean they're even a good enough singer again to pull it off for sure um well those are kind of the main ones i wanted to hit yeah. charge like, i, I think say, i think it, I don't, a lot of the notables i think the last two songs i don't think they're bad but i i, I don't know for some reason like that song hit such a peak to me, yeah. That the no two kind of are, are stepped down in, yep. in energy enough. I don't know if there's any. If you wanted to listen to one of those nope. songs or there anyone, I mean, we and we have so much to get to with the that's other true. album. Yes, we do so much that's, meat on the bone. It's, it's, it's a lot on there. We um, we we need to move on. Yeah, but I mean, you know this this was a this is a great album. I mean, I'm really uh, I'm glad we did this one. I think I think people are going to dig this, and uh, I certainly have enjoyed you know pretty much listening to this and the next album exclusively for the last like week or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but the next album, which is my pick, 
Um, this is an album like you have to imagine that you are in college and you're wearing like an army surplus jacket and <laughs> Chuck Taylors and like carpenter jeans and kind of skulking around the University of Minnesota campus on a grim <laughs> October day, dejectedly smoking cigarettes outside of like Johnson Hall, um, <laughs> listening to a, a Walkman or a Discman at that time. So, it's a big album in college for me is what I'm trying to say. How much um, how much hair do I have? I really need to put myself in that headspace. What's that? How much plenty. hair do I have in it? Yeah. Hair. I have more yeah. than now. Uh yeah. Yeah. More than now. <laughs> Which isn't saying a lot. Um, but yeah, so this was huge for me in college. This is Yola Tango. Uh I can hear the heart beating as one. Um Yola Tango, I'd say, is, you know, if you had to have a Hall of Fame of like US indie rock, I mean, these guys started in nineteen eighty four. Um, first album 86 they're still going they put out an album like a couple weeks ago um i think they have like 15 albums and like 16 Uh, eps 18 Um, albums oh 18 albums yeah it's like i mean and they're also an interesting band in that um the core of the band ira kaplan and and georgia uh, hubley are are married i think they've been together pretty much for the whole band have been married for a large part of that um and you know they they had a few members uh kind of rotating out in the early days and then they settled in with the bassist James McNew um to kind of form the classic lineup and that that's been stable now for you know years and years before this album even so um you know as far as a band that's just you know sort of endured through the years I really admire admire them I've seen them live a few times and um I don't know they kind of just found their own kind of zone of music and I think this album probably you know this or maybe the next one um which is nothing turned itself inside out would probably be considered maybe their peaks by a lot of people. Um, but this one I think was certainly, uh, probably the one that brought them to, I wouldn't say fame, but like sort of a, you know, indie rock mm-hmm. fame where they, they kind of became a band that like, you know, didn't play the seventh street entry, played the first Avenue main room kind of, you know, to put it yeah. in those kind of terms. Um, and I think they could still, you know, they still probably tour and do those kind of rooms today. Um, but yeah, this is, this is a, it was a very big album, uh, in my life and I liked this album a lot. I thought it, and for me, it, it still held up and I, there was some things I'd forgotten about it and, and particularly like how it was a lot longer than I remembered and a lot more diverse than I remembered. So oh, I think there's geez. a few hits. Is, is it ever? Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a few, the few songs that kind of like were sort of the, not hits, but as I, as I, um, also want to encourage people, I sent this to both Charge and Jason today. Uh, there's a video for the song Sugar Cube, which, uh, we'll get into, but, uh, that video is really, I think one of the funniest rock videos that's ever done. Um, yeah. it, it was them and, uh, David Cross and some of the Mr. Show guys. And it's basically the idea that this hyper nerdy kind of awkward self-conscious indie band gets sent to rock school where these kind of like, you know, instructors dress up like Kiss kind of berate them to like <laughs> smash their guitars and like <laughs> trash hotel rooms. And they do like, they have to study like rush lyrics, you know, and stuff. It's, it's just, it's, I mean, it's a super hilarious video. I mean, I think it's, it's one of my favorite videos like of all time. Um, and it kind of pokes fun at, you know, the fact that like, uh, I guess if rock and roll is like sex, drugs and rock and roll, like Yola Tango is probably like the opposite of that. You know what I mean? They're, they're like, uh, it's middle, a stable you know, marriage span. Yeah. It's like, they're the least years. like sexy band of all time, you know? Um, but I mean, they're a great band and I think they, they sort of find, find a unique musical niche charge. I didn't know. I know. I was curious at what you would think of this because I thought yeah. there were some elements that might appeal to you, and then I thought maybe there were elements that wouldn't appeal well, to you. So I'm, I'm just kind of interested in what you think of it. 
And boy, is that right. I think the, this album, again, it's Yola Tango's I Can Hear the Heart Beating is One on 1997. Um, one of the things I wrote down in taking notes for this album, uh, and I had never heard the album front to back. I, I know I had heard just a couple of songs just sort of here and there, um, but I'd never heard the whole thing. And what I wrote was there's something for everybody on this album. And there's also nothing for everybody on this album <laughs> in a lot of ways because it's so diverse. Over the course of listening to the 16 songs, Matt, Jason, I ended up referencing, st- I was taking notes as I was listening, you know, throughout the, throughout the week. I referenced Stereolab, The Replacements, Dive, Deer Hunter. Then they cover, straight up cover, Beach Boys and Anita Bryant. And there's kraut rock, there's folk rock, there's country, there's minimalist indie rock, there's pop. I mean, there is something for everybody on this album. But I think for a lot of people, and and Yola Tango's had plenty of success, but I think for, you know, just your average listener, they would listen to this album and go, my God, there's, you know, what's happening? There's There's no songs. There's no continuity. Some would complain. And for me... I just think it's there's just genius and the lack of continuity to it and the bravery of just being able to go, you know, we're going to come right out of fuzzy guitar into a loud, uh, a loud and, and, and kind of raw energy song. And then we're going to go do country and then yeah. we're going to cover the beat boys, beach boys. It's just it's just there's a bravery to this album that you just you just don't see every day. Yeah, there there's certainly. I think one of the things I like about this band is they definitely feel like a band that I, I feel like they get in a room together and just like jam and stuff comes out of it and they don't necessarily stop to think like, oh, well, is this really us? You know what I mean? Which I think yeah. a lot of bands mm-hmm. kind of like I've had that in bands I've been in where we kind of come up with something that's cool, but we're just like, I don't know. This is kind of out of our zone or something. This sounds too classic rock or this sounds too something, you know, whereas I think Yola Tango just kind of says like, ah, sounds good. Like, let's just run with it, you know, um, yeah. which is an interesting uh, tack. There was, uh, I watched a short interview with them from around the time that this album was released. And that is almost exactly what they said, actually. Like they didn't go in and they generally don't go into writing music or recording it with like the intent to make songs A, B, and C. They just sort of let the music guide them through it, which must, I don't know, it must be hell to try and put together an album of that music, right? Like imagine writing 30 songs and saying, okay, which 16 of these belong on an album together, right? Yeah. Yeah, and you know, and over the years, I mean, the early stuff is definitely more towards that kind of like raw kind of indie rock stuff. Later on, they've kind of evolved into like almost kind of this ambient like live instrument kind of soundscape stuff. They have an actually mm-hmm. charge. You probably like uh, there's an album called "They Shoot We Score," which they've done a lot of soundtrack work for independent films. Oh, and it's okay. It's sort of a collection of stuff that yeah okay. that they've done for various independent films that you know. I think that would be up your alley, you know? Yeah, no doubt. It sounds, it sounds like it probably would be, but there were a lot of parts of this that were right at my alley. And then the other things I didn't expect to like, uh, that I ended up liking a lot. And, and particularly I, I love that there was a, there's a three song diversion into really country music. And I, I, I found that just to be this incredibly refreshing and totally unexpected, um, move for them that at, a, it had three songs that were all sort of in the same genre. And then B, I just, I never, never saw, um, you know, country warbling coming at me. Uh, and yet that's, you know, that's, that ends up being the tack that it ends up taking in, in tracks like 10, 11, and 12. Yeah. Um, so where do you want to start? I mean, 
you know. Well, I, for me, I mean, if I could pick a favorite song, it's it's track two called Moby Octopad. Um, yes. I couldn't tell you what Moby Octopad means, but it's very Stereo Lab, and uh, the, the 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 wife singer Georgia is it Hubley? It's Hubley or Hubley? I I don't know. We don't know. Channel. Jason, did her- you hear in the interview? Yeah, it was Hubley. Hubley, okay. Hubley. Georgia Hubley, thank you. And George is listening, and I, I apologize if I didn't get it right. <laughs> we'll make sure um, to add her. Yeah, channeling uh, Stereo Labs, uh, Letitia Sadlier? Yeah, Letitia Sad- Sadier, I think so. Sadier? Actually, I went to their show like last fall. Really? How was it? Oh, f- unbelievable. Close Your Eyes, it was like 1999. It was just like, really? yeah, they were unbelievable. I that's I know this is Stereo Labs a band a little bit like Yola Tango that I I just I'd hear songs and go oh I really like that and I never really follow up I'm gonna I'm gonna dive into Stereo Lab later and I'm gonna deeply regret that I haven't spent years you know following this band and I'm not missing it and then and they'll probably never tour again and I'll be really pissed um, but I thought Moby Octopad was uh, was my favorite it's long we 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 certainly don't want to do the whole thing but I like the throbbing bass line the noisy guitars that oh, cascade through the songs. And hey, hey, that's Oscar, everybody. Hold yeah, on. Yeah, hey, Oscar. This has happened to me so many times on live radio. <laughs> when I, you know, God forbid the Amazon guy shows up while I'm on the radio. Uh, oh Lord, the FedEx guy dude. showed up today, right? And, and my my dog was just all over him. Right. Um, well, some stray cat just walked up on our porch. Oh, well, wow, that's bark- very that's cheap. a parkworthy event. I don't yeah. blame Oscar for that at all. <laughs> oh, sorry, Yola Tango. I just gotta just gotta. All right. Hey, Oscar, how you doing? Welcome to the podcast. Making his <laughs> podcast debut. debut <gasps> Oscar, everybody. Dude. He just feels very strongly about this album. <laughs> this is, I'm, I feel like this is like, I'm just, oh my God. All right, Charge. Sorry. I'm dropping the no, ball okay. for you here. Moby That's Octopad. Right. Let's, let's get into it. I, I agree. Yeah. I think this is a highlight of the album um, and it's got a great groove. All right, let's dig in. I gotta say, I like any song where you can immediately tell that the bass is being played with a pick. I don't have to guess. Mm. Yeah, you hear, oh, totally. You hear the crunch. Yep. It's so, it's so nice. need to know the lyrics what she's saying doesn't matter what pick, what matters is that they pick the right vowel sounds for yes. the note yeah. right yeah i do when we're done i have a deep cut about one lyric in here that i think is a, a reference to something okay yeah just give me the signal and i can cut her right ever no but i mean i love I mean, this song goes you on. It's kind of the yeah. same group, it's, but it's I, I really, much, I love yeah, it. In this vibe, you know, 
I love that. I love that it goes on. And one thing I want to shout out to to Georgia is that um, I don't think she's the type of drummer that tends to get signaled out as like a great drummer because she's very like laid back and not super hard hitting. But she has just a very good like funky kind of groove that she hits. I think that's like really awesome. Is it, no, is it, it, oh, sorry. Is it gauche or sexist to compare her to Meg White? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I <laughs> just think mind. she's not at all like Meg White. Cause I mean, she's, she's way more, I think, polished. I mean, I like Meg White. I mean, I think she's, she's an awesome drummer. Right. But I think George is thinking, way more funky and kind of like, yeah. I mean, it's almost kind of like a funk break just played really quietly, you know? Huh. You know? Like she feels like she plays with traditional grip. You know what I mean? I don't know if she even does, but. You know, they've got a little, they decide to play this song out. It goes for quite a while. I want to yeah. say it's in the, in the ballpark of like a six minute song, which is um, not typical of this album. So um, the lyric that I wanted to quick bring up before we move on yeah. is, uh, cease, they keep saying cease to exist. And mm-hmm. I don't think this is a coincidence. They, they end up covering the Beach Boys later on. But um, I don't know, as you know, or if you don't know, Charles Manson was actually kind of befriended by Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys. And that yeah. was sort of, you know, part of the reason that, you know, the whole the whole murders happened because there was this other guy, Terry Melcher, who was a record producer that was friends of Dennis Wilson. And that the people that lived in that house were actually living in Terry Melcher's old house. And Manson was basically embittered that he didn't get a contract because I think Wilson at one point had sort of said, like, I, I like your songwriting. Anyway, there's a Charles Manson song called Cease to Exist. And that's the only one that ever was like the Beach Boys later recorded that song with some changed lyrics. And it was called Never Learn Not to Love. But wow. On a Beach Boys album, there's actually there's a song like. Is it co-written. credited C. Manson? I don't know if they credited him, <laughs> but it's the same song. Because like there's a there's a Manson thing that called Lie that was sort of these like home demos. It was like sort of a bootleg and then it kind of became released or whatever. But I, I'd be almost. I bet that that's a reference, especially because they, as you you noted, that they cover the Beach Boys later on in this album, and like there's there like Ira Kaplan was sort of a rock critic for a while, yeah, before the band. So I, you know, they seem like the kind of people that would do a reference to that. To that. Uh, you know, it, it's it's tempting to just you know go right to that cover just for a minute, just so you can hear Little Honda in a way that you haven't heard it before. And so I, you know, if you guys don't mind, yeah, do I wouldn't it. mind yeah. just, you know, I wouldn't mind 30 seconds of little Honda just to hear how, hear their take on a classic Beach Boys song since we're, we're deep into the Beach Boys connection at this point. Sure, it's 
it's it's a little I, I kind of like just sort of the droney almost flatness in his voice that feels you know it it's clearly trying to be um, only somewhat faithful to the original and I, I I like their version of it yeah he's got sometimes I think like I'm sure growing up he was probably like a big velvet underground fan like Lou Reed that's sometimes that, he I've seen that, that connection many times yeah that real like kind of flat kind of Lou Reed delivery no doubt. Um, the other song I want to highlight is one that you already referenced, Matt. Um, and actually, there's a couple other songs I'd like to get to. But um, the song coming out of Moby Octopad, the first one that we heard with, you know, the throbbing bass line and the fuzzy guitar and everything, goes right into something that really sounds much more like it belongs on a Replacements album with just raw, loud guitar. And that's the song called Sugar Cubes. You referenced the video before. Um, but I think just just the, the fact that they're willing to... Um, blend all of these divergent uh, sound styles is is really exemplified by going from Moby Octopad into Sugar Cubes. Later, we get this Beach Boys cover. speaking that harmony his voice what he does I, I think it's i probably should have asked is that the lead singer's voice doubled or are two people actually singing on that track i can't tell it because they they do a lot of singing together but this sounds more doubled to me yeah i'm just thinking regardless like those tones of voice it should sound awful like that harmony <laughs> should sound awful <laughs> frankly because, because like you said it's, it's a pretty muted vocal delivery Right, like it should just sound like mumbling by that point, but they made it work, and like the uh, EQ on this track just brings out the voices enough that it works super well. I love the guitar, and this tone is awesome. So are you guys with me on the replacements vibe here, or am I just going to my? You know, am I just playing a native Minnesota card here? Um, I mean, kind of. I mean, sometimes I almost hear like like the guitar reminds me of like My Bloody Valentine, which I know you're not. <laughs> I remember last time we brought up them, you were walking out of the concert charge. So I know. I for a I band I love, it, take, it takes a lot to get me to walk out of a concert for what's a band that? I adore. But what's, the, what's the story there? Charge couldn't well, handle the rock, man. What are you going to do? No, that is I, that is not an accurate assessment of why anybody would walk out of My Bloody Valentine. Um, that is, and I've, I think it might be the only um, the only band that I've paid to see that I've, I've walked out of halfway through the show. It was... Uh, and if you know anything about My Bloody Valentine, they are, they are, it's loud, lo- loud, largely guitar driven, at least partially instrumental. And it's a wall of noise and, and it always has been. But the combination of their sound and the, I just think the cement walls of the Palace Theater yeah. made it an unbearable, mucky mess. <laughs> and it was 
so loud and it, you know, I, like, I, and loud is their thing. And I totally get that, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't even pick out, I couldn't even pick out what was happening, the distinct sounds. And by an hour into this thing, I've got a, I've got a headache and I just, all I wanted to do was leave. And so gone. I just, at some point you just go, you know what? I got to tap out and I tapped out. And then as I'm outside, there's Matt. Yeah. He tapped out too. Well, I was just, <laughs> I had to take a break. And I mean, I'm kind of giving charge shit, but I mean, I think when we're saying loud, I don't know if we're quite conveying to people how loud my bloody Valentine is. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you've not been to see them. It's, it's almost like a physical presence. Yeah. You know what I'm saying, Charge? Like you almost it's like you feel it in your actual body. Yeah. Not I, just your ears. It's like and even wearing earplugs. Like I, I, I was sitting in the balcony, I could like I could put my hand down on the floor that was concrete and like you could feel it. Oh yeah. In the it concrete. Was a, I mean a physical assault on your body. Yeah. It's I mean, I kind of dug the effect of it, but I mean <laughs> I, I wasn't waited so long to see him, so I was pretty stoked. But um but yeah, it, it's I mean, probably the only band that came close is Motorhead in the main room. But, um, man, they're loud. So, yeah, we digress. Anyway. But anyway, Yola Tango is not that loud. Yeah. Um, but can I this pick song- the next? Can I pick the next song? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Now, so we go from that, which is, you know, just straight ahead, raw guitar into the song that for whatever reason, you know, the, the streaming music service I, I use is Tidal. And Tidal lists, you know, has all for every out al- for every band. You can just say, you know, play me, you know, play me the most popular tracks and they're listed in order. The most popular track in the entire discography of Yola Tango is the Ooh. song we're going to hear next, at I least according to title, which is Autumn Sweater. And it couldn't, you know, again, couldn't be more different than anything that we've heard before with sir, you're going to hear syrupy keyboards and dreamy vocals by Ira. And, you know, you never know it's the same band as, as, as the one that we've heard so yeah. far. And see here, go back to the picture of me skulking around campus in the fall. You know what I mean? Like this mm-hmm. is, this is one that, that takes me back to this. What was the uh, color of the sweater you were wearing back then? I don't know. It's probably a flannel, to be honest. Okay. It's a fun song. baseline that kicks in here yeah the arrangement of this song is awesome i love just the way this sounds mm-hmm. that's where all the hooks are too right at least in my estimation like yeah. the opening drum beat like you said it's very groovy 
the bass has that like running uh that's just it's like all the vocal hooks that they could have put in they put into instrumental track anyway yeah Yeah. another thing i love about them is they uh, their all their keyboard tones you can tell they're they're using like these really wonky like garage sale like organs and stuff you know what i mean not like super like synths Mm -hmm. or anything This almost sounds like, you know, at your grandma's house, the ones that had like a million switches on them, like an electric organ. <laughs> yeah. What kind of what kind of organ do you think this is? I don't know. It could be a Farfisa, which is like a 60s one. I mean, it could just be like any kind of one of those electric organs. But I, they have a great sound. And it's almost kind of in a weird, like, it reminds me of, like, this kind of weird, like, Lego, like, homemade, like, dance music kind of. <laughs> Lego? What do you mean? Well, it just feels like kind of homemade put together, you know? It doesn't feel like really slick, like, actual electronic dance music, but they kind of like the way they layer in beats and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that is my favorite part of the song is when the bass line starts moving. Because up to that point, it's just been the whole notes going along with the chords. And then finally, it starts to like just make that step down. Are you surprised this song is has the popularity that it has? No, because I, I felt like at the time this was sort of like a standout. Like mm-hmm. I think this and Sugar Cube kind of felt yeah. like the hits in a certain way. Yeah, there was one other one that struck me as a potential hit, and um, I'd, I'd love to get to it. Um, in I mean, I'm the, talking like in, indie rock hits. You know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah, like, with, yeah, we're sure within the spectrum of, of what they what they probably could do. Um, uh, I I loved. When I got to the song Green Arrow, it's an instrumental with crickets in the background, warbling guitar. It's something you'd hear over a campfire in the prairie in Wyoming. And I'm, I'm thinking, I, I, I'm thunderstruck when I'm hearing this for the first time going, how, how do you have the guts to, to do this? And with all the, all the other things that are so different in this album, and I don't think it deserves a long play, but I think it's worth getting just a few moments of Green Arrow in just to give people a feel for this, what I think are kind of three consecutive songs that work together in an album, which 
no no other three songs sort of work together. I think these this one, the next one, and the next one kind of do. Yeah, this is a beautiful song, and it's it's super minimal, but and also church. This would sort of maybe point to some of that uh, film score stuff that yeah, I was talking sure. about. not a lot more to the song <laughs> this is you already have a pretty good idea as to what it's like yeah but i, I don't I, I never really get bored with it this is such a pleasant no. kind of agree environment and the, and the crickets just i think that was such a brilliant thing it kind of kind of puts you almost outside outdoors oh for sure i i first thing i wrote down campfire on the prairie in wyoming you're right there jason Let's go to the next song, which to me is song number two in this sort of country vibe, if you will. And I'm, I'm probably not, I'm probably not setting that up quite right. But here we get, uh, I think, a much more straightforward traditional country sound with steel guitar, languid vocals. You know, his voice is so different here from anywhere else on the album. And I was trying to think, I just don't own my country artists well enough. I was trying to come up with who this sounds like. And I, I just don't know country well yeah, enough to I have don't, a comparison. But it doesn't sound like the same Ira we've heard elsewhere on the album. No, I mean, I don't. it doesn't really sound country, but you're right. He, he sounds different. I don't know if he's just singing lower in his register, mm-hmm. which he doesn't really sing at this register very often. Is more higher. So I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. it's just like naturally different. But, but yeah, I, I love this. Like, it's just a super well produced like the little guitar kind of slide guitar stuff is great yeah and it's just it's just a good melody good chord change and they don't really feel the need to like overdo it you know so the next song is called the lie and how we told it and for me matt this song with the previous two to me provides the most continuity and harmoniousness that we get in this album and i also thought this was the song that i think could have been a single I don't think any reason to think it was, but I think it could have been as well. It's it's very guitar forward, and Iris got some soft vocals, and then you, you get some Georgia comes back in with some backing vocals later, and I like a lot. And I I I really enjoyed this song.
love the jangly guitar in this song, Matt. Yeah. This is just a pretty, I mean, this is a pretty song, you know? Yeah. It's so pretty. And I think Georgia pulls it all together with the voice in here. Yeah, I mean, her voice, you know, I think for both of them not being technically or traditionally like the strongest singers, mm-hmm. I think their vocals are pretty strong the way that they just seem to know their range really well. And I think the way they blend together is very good. And the way they, they sometimes do little harmonies, I think, is 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 really, it's just pretty. I mean, they have just, you know, this just feels like a very distinctive like Yola Tanga sound to me um, mm-hmm. right here. With 16 songs, you know, the, we, we can't hit them all, but I've got one more that I, I would like to play, and then maybe there's some yeah, others you want to highlight, man. The song immediately after this one is, I'm convinced it's a parody song. I, 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 think, I think the whole thing's tongue-in-cheek, and I want to get, get your thoughts on it. So, you know, you just heard three straight songs that appear in this album, and then we come to a song called Center of Gravity. It's straight up Lounge Act Bossa Nova. And I, <laughs> I swear that this thing is a parody, and I want to see if you think it is too. Well, number one, going back to those old electric organs, that's absolutely one that just preset Bossa Nova beat. Oh, yeah. Like from one of those organs. Yep. The girl from Ipanema. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I mean, I definitely feel like they're they're playing in a genre here for sure. I don't know if it feels like <laughs> parody because sure. it feels kind of more heartfelt than parody to me. I don't know. They don't seem like a real parody kind of band. But maybe. But yeah. The, I don't know. It, it's it's just, very like. It's so on the nose with a 70s lounge act. The vocals just seem super just dripping cheesy to me. <laughs> and I, um, I walked away going, am I? Am I? Was the expectation that I enjoy this or laugh at this? Laugh with you at this. <laughs> it is very cute where the rest of the album isn't cute in that yeah. way, I guess. Correct. All right, Matt, is there is there any other songs that, you know, we hit on about half of the songs on this on this 16-track album. Were there any um, others you wanted to be sure to get to? Yeah, a couple. And, you know, these some of these tie into feels maybe that we've gone through, but I, I, I really like the opening track return to hot chicken. Um, I think it just mm. kind of opens it on a very like cinematic. Yeah. Kind of cool note. And I, this is always just, I just, I remember hearing this for the first time and just kind of being like, huh, I wonder what this album's going to be like. And then obviously it, it goes all over the place from here, but it, it's not a very traditional like opening song for a record. 
Oh, no, not at all. Short song, fuzzy instrumentals, almost like one of like that quiet track on a post-rock album. love that melody that guitar line is so great i want to say that that motif comes back i forget which song maybe it's deeper into movies but i feel like i recognize that from another track i wouldn't be surprised it's a very it's a very like comfortable riff but yeah i mean you know these kind of vibe your songs that you know I, I don't tend to really get bored with them, but I know for the format of the show, it's kind of like, yeah, it is it, what it is, you know. And it's a short song anyway. I think the song yeah. clocks in at under three minutes. Or, sorry, it's a it's one and a half minutes. So yeah, it's you, you know you probably already have the the vibe of it. And but it, a, a curious way to start an album, right? Yeah, definitely. You know, Moby Octopad would seem like the a more um, logical starting point you know which is the second song i guess maybe they see it as sort of like an intro to moby octopad or something like that but you know it's it's kind of it's definitely different and you know but i mean it's an album that goes in a lot of different ways so maybe they should just you know from the from the outset you don't really know how to take it um one other yeah. one that's just like a favorite of mine which i just think is like a, a good song this is in the on the more folky end of it too which is stockholm syndrome <laughs> And I would say this is probably like their earlier albums. Like this would be fit in pretty well in like maybe their late eighties, very early nineties stuff. Mm-hmm. stuff definitely has a more strong kind of like neil young kind of influence which it, I think yeah that's a great that's that's a great analogy so yeah i don't know jason anything you wanted to hear i mean we covered a lot of it oh this i like how that comes in yeah like the kind of screech yeah i think it, it needed a little of that to be honest i wanted it to have a little bite to it and this is super Neil Young, like electric lead playing, kind of just like scrawl. My friend Chris always says Neil plays electric guitar like he's wearing mittens. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. 
Now, you know, we've hit all the high points for me. Uh, yeah. I guess I'm just curious, Matt, being a fan of them for so long and knowing so much of their stuff, who would you say is the audience for Yola Tango these days? Is it mostly another audience? I mean, I feel like they kind of, you know, I think they've kind of ma- maintained pretty relevant on the in- indie rock. You know what I mean? I think there's definitely like, probably like, you know, somebody like me is like dead on center. You know what I mean? And then obviously mm-hmm. there's probably some older fans that, you know, were into them way, way back when. Right. Um, I but I mean, say- I think, you know, they they definitely got like their next album after this was, I think, released in 01 maybe. And that was like huge. That might have gotten even a 10 out of 10 on Pitchfork. Wow. Um, so oh, wow. and they've, they've definitely, you know, I think they're, they've sort of just, settled into that zone where like they have a loyal fan base and I think that they kind of just do what they want. And, you know, like they just released a thing that was basically uh, a couple of weeks ago that I think they've just been kind of bored because of quarantine. So they just released like this six song EP of just kind of jams in the studio just to be like, Hey, this is what we're doing. You know, kind of thing is it's, that wasn't really built as like a formal album, but right. Um, but you know, I mean, hell they've been a band for, you know, 34. So yeah, you know, yeah. I mean like they've That's certainly, you fucking weirded me out when I was in like middle high school. The people I knew who listened to Yola Tango were the cool kids. They didn't want to listen to what was prevalent of the day. They yeah. wanted to listen to the mainstream, and they sure as hell weren't listening to like emo rock and other shit. I was into. I still kind of am, but uh, even at that time, I was like, so, so when you brought up this this artist in this album, I was like, oh, ninety seven. That must be like when they were just getting their start. This is their sixth album. This is yeah. an old ass band, and I don't mean that pejoratively. Yeah. Like they are established by the time that this album comes out, mm-hmm. and that that was a really strange lens to look back at this album from. Uh, yeah, just like, I would yeah. say though that this album probably. I mean, I was aware of them before this, but I think that like you know I was sort of like in college at that time, and I mm-hmm. think this album kind of did take them up sort of one level to like where I was like pretty hip, but not like super hip. You know what I mean? <laughs> like. To, to the point where people that were into bands like Pavement and, you know, things like that kind of became more aware of them around this time. So I think it's not unusual, I think, for people to kind of associate this with, like, when they started around because it was sort of a time, I think, when they kind of jumped up in popularity quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But okay. yeah, I mean, do, you, I mean, do you think that's off? Yeah, definitely. I Just one last question about Yola Tingo because they've, like, they've scratched at such an interesting place, I think. Do you think that they, like, did anything in the indie space that like opened the way to what we got in the early 2000s because like 97 that's 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 peaking that's like when grunge is in and on the way out ish and you've got early like new metal really hitting and i'm just wondering what you think that this band did in that space that like did they open it up a little more to different styles and different like deliveries or yeah i mean they just kind of their own thing there was kind of a lot going on, but I mean, I think that sort of just a their as charge brought up, you know, they had a, they had a really big range and, you know, 97 ish, like that's still like the age of grunge and pretty like, mm-hmm. you know, manly men doing stuff with like guitars, <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, Hila Tango's vibe was very, uh, you know, a, there was a woman in the band that was like sort of an equal part of the band and like, mm-hmm. you know, they're just, they're not, I mean, there's, they have some loud parts, but they're, you know, not very aggressive. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that like maybe a band like that, another band that was sort of a couple oriented band, the band low from Minnesota, I think yeah. one of the great, the great, great Minnesota bands better than the replacements. Um, you know, they were sort of similar in that, that they were sort of doing a more quiet kind of deliberate thing in an era when, I mean, I remember seeing low and people would be absolutely mad at them because they played quiet and people wanted to yeah. like, 
Hell, I mean, I saw people slam dance to like the cranberries. You know what I mean? Like people oh, just shit. wanted to like, <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like I did seriously, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, people just wanted to slam dance uh, back then. And so like, I think for these bands, it was sort of like maybe the first of going away from some of that kind of early nineties kind of stuff. You know what I mean? At least to me. Sure. All right. Uh, Matt, do you think we're ready for our community segment? Have we wrapped up all the conversation? Yeah, I mean, I think these albums? were, you know, obviously. You know, I'm uh, just going to mention great albums. and Yola Tango, if you don't mind. Yeah. I, I just think oh, for an album that's as old as this is, 20, what's it, 24 years old, uh, I think it held up extremely well. I would have no reason listening to this album to not think it was recorded last week. So yeah, that's it, a great point, Charge. I mean, like stuff like Moby Octopad does not sound dated to me. No. And in fact, now when I go back and I, you know, I, you know, we didn't hear much. Uh, we didn't hear a lot of that that sort of sound back then at all. I think you're really innovating in ways that you probably take for granted today when you hear it the first time. Yeah, and another thing I should bring up, which we didn't get to, just because it wasn't really relevant. But another thing is live. They're sort of um, they can be kind of a different animal as well. Like live, they do kind of almost jammy kind of stuff. Um, not in like the really? grateful dance right. sense, but you know some mm-hmm. of those grooves, like a Moby Octopad, they might really take that out you know what i mean maybe the song yeah. that was closest was a song called spec bebop yeah that's kind of a 10 minute jam like they can kind of get a little louder i would love that yeah that'd be fun to hear And you already have the gist of the song. It's kind of 10 minutes <laughs> yeah. of this. But I mean, drony, this is like typical of where, where they might take one of their kind of songs yeah. live a little bit. Like they might just keep jamming out till they get to something like more in this zone and kind of evolve the groove and stuff. So. See, and I love this. And for, you know, this, this kind of music, this is, there's not a lot of this kind of music, like this sound being made in 1997. Yeah. And I mean, I know you're like me. I, I don't really remind repetitive music at all. And I think you're kind of I the don't. same charge. I mean, I can kind of listen to stuff that's like one groove that kind of just goes on kind of hypnotically. Like, I don't, that doesn't bother me at all. I like that. So. Totally agree. All right. Yeah. I think there's your taste. But you're right. It's like 10 minutes of this. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah. And Matt, I, you know, I just I want to thank you for bringing this album to my attention. As somebody that had heard bits and pieces of Yola Tango, but had never listened to an album straight through, this was it was revelatory and just you know so brave, so unique in so many ways. And I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I love that you ended up choosing this. I'm I I I I learned a lot. I got to uh, I got to grow as a person, Matt. Wow, this is emotional. So, well, thank you as yeah. well, Charge. You know, I'm super happy. Obviously, you're a good friend. I'm glad we could be on the show. We talked music so much, so it was fun to kind of do it in a more formal way. Um, but yeah, no, and like I said, um, you know, I loved I loved your pick as well. And like I said, those you know that band is that's obviously a super talented band, and um, it, it, was, I'm, it, was, I'm, it was fun to discover yeah. them because I'd literally never heard of them. So I'm really glad, Paul, that you ended up landing on other lives and sticking with it 
to because you were like might have to stick a move on this one i is it too late to change and i was like yes yeah yeah yes. unfortunately but you know it'll be great it'll, it'll go down smooth and i'm glad i'm glad you ended up picking it and not sticking to like not letting not getting too much in your own head about it but as you soon know as you charge, can re- re- okay. yeah but you know as like soon- you do, sorry <laughs> jesus you do a lot of podcasting <laughs> you know it's like it's always like it's it's always better when it's more authentic you know what i mean sometimes if you're trying to kind of chase something you think is going to be popular you know it's like I think it was better because you're passionate about the record, you know? Yeah, uh, but there's a lot of albums I'm passionate about. And I'm already, I, I, as soon as I can reasonably get back in, I want to come back in and do two more albums. So, you know, I'm not sure what the what what is the length of time one needs to be away from the Mint Tracks podcast before you can reasonably come back. But I want to be that guy. First one back. Okay, we will definitely have you Thank back. You. We haven't been doing that long, so I guess we don't really know, but... Absolutely, Charge, you will be back for sure. And you're going to come with a big hit. I'm going to come with a big hit. And we're just going to we're gonna knock these numbers out of the park. Yeah, that is a deal. Sounds good. Um, we have a little segment of community questions, if you can stick around, Paul. Yeah, let's do it. I've, I've got five, ten more minutes. Let's okay. do it. Okay, we'll try to make it quick. Uh, I should say that this is, of course, a podcast you're listening to for free. Good audience. Uh, but if you support MinMax at any tier, you get to submit questions for our guest and host to answer and songs that we might listen to on air. Um, so find us at uh, patreon.com slash MinMax with two N's to, to get involved. Uh, our first question comes from MinMax user, or sorry, patron Disco Flip, who says, hey, MinTracks, do you have a favorite concert film? My personal favorites are Pink Floyd and Pompeii and Talking Heads' Stop Making Sense. Stop Making Sense was the first place I went. <laughs> that was one of mine, too. Yeah. Yep. Unfortunately, um, took it took it right out of your mouth. Uh, I will submit, yeah. as I always do, The Last Waltz by the band. What a fucking what a fucking movie! That is great. I've never seen it. Daisy. Oh no! That's um, no, it's 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 kind of a it's a great concert film, and it's it's also I think kind of sort of represents like maybe the end of the '60s in a certain way. You know what I mean? Like it feels like they're kind of sending off an mm-hmm. era of like classic rock. But charge to your point, Jason. Uh, Stop making sense is. It's so well done and it's it's so conceptually done where the fact that it's like it's not just like, hey, we're doing a concert and we're going to put cameras in front of us and just record mm-hmm. it. It's like it's staged almost like a stage play the way that. Yes. You know, like the stagecraft kind of like it's very minimal to the point where at the beginning it's just David Byrne in like a boombox to the point where by the end they've like expanded the band to like, you know, multiple extra members outside of the, the core members of the band. And it's almost yeah. like this big, like kind of elect- electro funk kind of thing. And um, who's the guy, the guy from P funk um, is playing with him on that. The keyboard player, Bernie, Wor- Bernie Worrell from P funk is on there, but it's, oh, yeah. just so, it's so well staged. And like, I think burn is such a, like, did charge, did you see him on that tour that he came through a couple years ago? No, I did not. I remember was, when he did. That was like the best one of the best shows I've ever seen. Cause it was just brilliantly staged in this kind of light box. And they used all these like really minimal sets and lighting to like, just create remarkable effects. So I mean, if you haven't seen stop making sense, it was um the director, Jonathan Demi and, yeah. and Byrne did that. So that's a great one. I'm trying to think of another one. Cause those are you, Jason, you took the last can I, waltz. And- can I give you the worst uh, concert film? Please. Led Zeppelin's song remains the same. Hmm. It's, it is rubbish. In my opinion, for a band that I, I like in many, many ways, um, the, you know, the concert footage is all disjointed and weird. And they and for whatever reason, the band decided they refused to wear the same clothes for the three days that they were <laughs> shooting the film. 
So there was no continuity in it. And because, you know, <laughs> and I don't know why you would do that. I mean, they know they're making the film. Um, they try to inject some silly Hobbit bullshit into this, into the thing that makes no sense whatsoever. Some what? would have been, there is, I'm telling you, there's, there's goofy Hobbit, you know, Lord of the Rings stuff that is floating <laughs> in and out of song remains the same. And it's, I'm telling you, the sound quality is pretty good and I'll, I'll grant them that. And that's, you know, that's critical to all of this. Um, and Jimmy Page is, you know, he's, he's freaking awesome in this, but um, it just, for the things that I want out of out of a concert film song remains the same, which I saw, which I saw in the theater when it was doing midnight movies and stuff back when I was a kid in the eighties. Um, I didn't, I, I think it's, I think it's rubbish. Damn. Well, well, I'll try and avoid that one, but you have piqued my really lurid interest with the Hobbit thing. I don't know what that's supposed to mean, but I want to find out. Uh, Grizzled Gaming asks, hey, Mini Mousers, which I guess is a cute nickname. Let's try to avoid those in the future. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what's an album you think would be a great basis for a video game and give us the elevator pitch for a game based on that album? I guess stories or concepts behind albums that, that might make good plots or, uh, or mechanics for video games. Anything like jump straight to mind? I had I've one got a couple. Okay, go ahead, Charge. All right. And, and maybe if Jason, you can do some quick Googling, uh, Anna van V O N Vaughn Hasselwolf is a Swedish singer and organist. And she has a brilliant album called dead magic, which is uh, my favorite album of 2018. And it would work in, it would, it would immediately create a sense of apocalyptic dread that I think would be fantastic for uh, a video game setting. It, it reminds me um, a little bit of the Bloodborne series and in a, in a twisted, weird and dark way that Bloodborne has is in, in no small part. And so that was, that's the one that immediately came to my mind. And if you want to throw the middle of any, any Anna Von Hasselwolf song, You'll probably get the gist, especially anything from Dead Magic. You'd probably get the gist of what I'm talking about. All right. Well, here's the middle of Ugly and Vengeful from Dead yeah. Magic. Yeah, oh, which is great. I love this song. Now advance just two minutes, either direction. We're going to jump again. This is at, uh, this is a 16 minute track and we're yeah. at minute yep. nine. So we're going to jump. I know, yeah. Jump, yeah, jump, yeah. Jump to the middle. It's, it goes fast, slow, fast, slow. We've hit a lot of slow, but. Yeah, this is pretty horrifying, Paul. Yeah, Anna von Hasselwolf, Swedish singer, organist. Um, lots of long stretches of the of uh, of that album that are um, that are instrumental, and then other parts where she's just wailing. I think it'd be it'd be it it would ins- 
should inspire somebody. Nobody knows the album. It should for inspire sure. somebody. For that it. album has pretty creepy cover art too. It looks like it really it, it looks does. like somebody turned up the contrast on like a picture of Laura Palmer wrapped in plastic. It's really <laughs> creepy. I like it. Matt? Um I'm a, <laughs> this is a super corny album in some ways, but I don't know. I kinda like it. It's an album called Operation Mind Crime by the heavy metal band Queensryche. <laughs> and <laughs> okay. it, it's like a concept album about like this guy Jimmy and he's in sort of like a you know near future like you know dystopian society and he becomes you know he's a drug addict and then he becomes like under the sway of this you know classic like revolutionary anarchist group that's you know Dr. X is their leader they're sort of like cult of personality guy and then anyway he basically you know becomes sort of brainwashed then like turned into an assassin to like kill off this figure and stuff and so hmm. okay it's yeah, just because so- it's it actually has like a plot because I think a lot of concept albums are like supposed to be concept albums, but you can't really like discern like what actually happened. And this it actually has uh-huh. a pretty like distinct plot in some ways. Yeah, it's uh, you should read this, some of these song titles. We've got Spreading the Disease, Operation Mind Crime, Revolution Calling, Sweet Sister Mary, The Needle Lies, Breaking the Silence, I Don't Believe in Love, My Empty Room. Very, there's a story building there. Yeah, there's like a love yeah, interest no kidding. too. And then uh, the other one is uh, Prince Paul uh um a prince among thieves which he's a really you know one of the well-regarded hip-hop producers of all time he's instrumental to de la soul and a lot of that early you know stuff like that anyway Mm. this album is actually it's another story almost about like kind of two rappers and you know one is kind of like older and kind of quit rapping and the younger one's kind of on the come up and they sort of you know through some things that happen have to like um you know, start dealing drugs for like this, you know, larger kingpin, but it'd make a really good like GTA um, style game plot, I think. And it's, it's also one of those where I think it actually has like a, a coherent plot and it has a lot of like guest appearances, like Everlast is like a corrupt cop and cool. Keith is like this weird weapon dealer and stuff like that. So I don't know. I thought both of those are actually like concept albums where I, they almost have like a movie like plot that you could like pull, pull forth through a game. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Next question. Tim Laro asks, do you have any music that feels comfortable to you culturally? Uh, like a style that you relate to or that you relate to your family or the community that you grew up in? Uh, for Tim, uh, he has a soft spot for hymnal type music and gospel that he associates oh. with the church services of his youth. Isn't that nice? I yeah, wish I had such a heartwarming story. <laughs> Matt, what, uh, um, what, what hits the mark for you? Well, I mean, I guess if there's any music I disassociate with growing up, it's um, the double album Greatest Hits Chronicle by Creedence Clearwater Revival. Um, really? That was like my Why dad's favorite band. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, it was the first record I ever like listened to. You know, my parents had like an old stereo and stuff and I would like go through them. And I was just, when I was super little, like three, four, I was like just so into CCR. And I just, I love Creedence Clearwater Revival <laughs> so much. And I, I listened to that album. Like just hours and hours when I was a little kid, like kind of before you have your own taste in music, you know what I mean? Are you even really aware of what's out there to a certain degree? But yeah, just CCR. That was like that was that was my dad's band, and so then by by you know it was kind of my introduction to even just the idea of like rock music in general. Wow. You know, I grew up in the sub the sub- suburbs, Eden Prairie. There was no community band other than you know whatever <laughs> KQ was playing. You know, at that moment. And, um, so I don't, you know, I didn't ever had a sense of community attached to any band like that. And my parents didn't listen to music, you know, really? I didn't grow up with a record player. 
they really? had um they had a stack of records but no turntable and you know and they and they frankly their taste was not you know consistent with mine especially mm-hmm. then and um so you know we didn't grow up listening to music at all in my household and never talked about music never had a heartfelt discussion about it anything like that hmm. so i didn't you know i didn't grow up with it uh that way like i think you know many people do and you know, I know Matt. For you and your daughter, me and my daughter, we you know we share music all the time. We share songs, and we you know we listen to each other's stuff. And you know, I just didn't grow up in a in a in a household like that at all. So your parents just basically were not really fans of music, or just like very no, huh? Did so? How did you? Sorry, I'm gonna let's turn this into a therapy session. Um, how how when did you like discover music on your own, or like what was the first music? I yeah, don't know, the out first in the world band, that you that you really liked. You, only you will appreciate this. Nobody else listening will, Matt. But you know, this is this is a testament to you uh, and your your depth of musical knowledge. When I'm in maybe ninth or tenth grade, somebody plays for me the Dixie Dregs. Whoa, that's a deep and cut. it's a deep cut. And here is this band that is that's got world class musicians, no vocals at all, which was totally foreign to me at the time. You know, I didn't know, you know, I didn't, I didn't even know there hardly was music without vocals and, and the musicianship is unbelievable. And it was the first time that I had found, I sort of found my home and it, and, you know, they say, you know, some of the, some of the things you experience as a youth ends up sticking with you for the rest of your life. And it ends up sort of paving the way for your future. And, and the dregs, as they were later known, they, they dropped Dixie out at some point, um, became, you know, sort of this. Uh, this band that paved the way for all of the other instrumental guitar-based music that I ended up listening to after that. Wow, Charge, that's the dregs, man. That's crazy. Like, the, honestly, the Dixie Dregs too. Like, I don't think about them that often, but they oh, are I'm... really one of those bands that I. You can't really compare them to another band because they're sort of like, I guess they're a prog band or like a jazz fusion band, but they have a very strong, like you said, almost kind of like southern rock or like, yeah, countryish element, like. It was, it's a very odd band. Like they're they're super, like you said, Steve Morse, right? He's the main. Yep, Steve Morse is the the brilliant guitarist, a musician's musician. Yeah, he replaced Richie Blackmore in in um, Deep Kansas. Purple or, or Deep Purple. Or, right, right, he was right. in Kansas. He now Kansas he's in Deep too. Purple. Yeah, so he's yeah. he's he's like a. I always read about him like reading guitar magazines. He had like a column, correct? Like a yes. teaching column in one of the guitar magazines I had when I was a kid. But um, but yeah, they're they're an odd band, man. They they don't really sound like they have because they have that kind of violin, that almost fiddle thing. They did, and, and their 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 violin player was this guy who had, who had won all of these international awards. At, you know, and I don't know what the international awards are, but he'd won all these international awards. Their bass player was a guy named Andy West, who was amazing, and they had a great keyboardist, drummer, um, and all of these guys were just you know really tremendous musicians. You put them all together, and you don't weigh down anything with singing, and you just it basically just turns into not a jam band because the songs are really tightly constructed. And they're all over the map from bluegrass to country to just straight rock. And they're all, it's, yeah, just the dregs really, that really was the first band that spoke to me. And then it, it also provided a little bit of bravery to love a band that nobody else knew. And I couldn't, you know, nobody, I didn't even able to even talk to about the dregs, you know? <laughs> I can't imagine in high school, yeah, there was probably like a lot of Dixie dregs. Uh, no, <laughs> no. I remember I brought it up to one guy once and he goes, what is that? A Dungeons and Dragons band? <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Wow. Well, damn. Check out the Dixie Dregs. Was it Freefall? Is that the big one? 
That was a very popular song. Yeah, Free Fall was a popular song and and an album, as I recall. Uh, name of both an, a song and album that was uh, very popular for the Dixie Drags. And um, they you know, ended up being, you know, I, all everybody in the band went on to a fair amount, a fair measure of success. And they did a uh, they did a reunion tour uh, last summer. I drove to Milwaukee to see them and just relive, um, you know, relive my my youth. And it was me and a bunch of sixty year olds. <laughs> that, that remembered them from the old days yeah no i mean oh, that's a wild pick i love that charge that's great i think matt put them on my radar back when we worked together once and now i feel really bad for not listening i i, I don't remember taking you up on that suggestion but i will i think now. you'd i think you'd actually appreciate it jason because it's it's really impressive music i mean from mm-hmm. just a technical aspect and like they're, they do have a unique sound. I can't really, I couldn't think of another one of those kind of 70s progressive rock bands that really Ooh. had sort of like a almost jazz and like country influence at the same time, which is sounds like that kind of thing. Seems, seems like hard to do, but it, they, they are. Okay. Yeah. Great. Uh, well, on our way out, we're going to be playing a community suggested song. It's going to be uh, Leaving Eden by Carolina Chocolate Drops. Uh, this is the second time that Tim Lauro has suggested a winner for uh, the song that we play on the way out. Uh, somebody dethrone him, please. Suggest better better and better <laughs> songs so that we don't have to listen to another one of Tim Lauro's personal playlist. Um, but Matt, I'll let you take us out and we will uh, we'll play that on the outro. Yeah, thanks so much for listening. Please, um, if you like the show, you know, obviously reviews are great. Um, if you like it and you know we just think uh, thank you for supporting us thanks for supporting MinMax Charge it's been great to catch up been great to talk yeah, some music and, and we will definitely definitely have you back I promise and uh, so everyone have a good week across the den by morning here's a blanket for you to share they're building down in Georgia daddy hears he'll find work there and the mockingbird can't sing like the cry of a dove and i can't tell my daughters all the things that i'm scared of but i am not afraid of that bright glory up above Dying's just another way to leave the ones you love. No work for the working man, just one more empty mill. Hard times in Rockingham, hard times harder still. The crows are in the kitchen. Wolves at the door Our father's land of Eden Is paradise no more And the mockingbird can sing Like the cry of a dove And I can't tell my daughters All the things that I'm scared of But I am not afraid that bright glory up above Dying's just another way To leave the ones you
sister stayed in Eden. Her husband's got some land. An agent for the county thinks that they might make a stand. A hard life working with nothing much to show. A long life living with nowhere to go. Another way.